0: The Audio Guide to the Galaxy is recorded at SciTech on Wajak Noongar land. Good evening, everybody, and welcome to the Audio Guide to the Galaxy, the monthly podcast produced by SciTech, where we take you through a guided tour of the night sky as seen from Perth. In this episode, we will be discussing what you can see in the night sky in the month of November. My name is Leon and I'm joined by Shana, a professional presenter from the SciTech Planetarium. Shana, thanks for being here.
1: Oh, thanks for having me.
0: All right, so Shana, we'll start this podcast as we start all of them. uh, And I'm going to ask you, what can a casual observer expect to see in the night sky this month? What planets are out?
1: Ah, So firstly, there is Jupiter, which is the real showstopper in the evenings this month. It's at opposition early in the month, so it is the closest and brightest it will be for the rest of the year. So this month is your best time to get a really good look at Jupiter, which you can find in the east.
0: Okay, Jupiter, that's the, I don't want to say the star of the show, but you said the showstopper. Um, You also mentioned opposition. What does opposition mean?
1: Yeah, so Jupiter is at opposition in relation to the sun. So it's directly opposite the sun in the sky. Oh, I see. So they're in opposition, so they're facing each other. So this means that Jupiter will rise just as the sun sets, and will be brightly illuminated in our skies.
0: I see, right? Okay, so like if you literally if you point at the sun with one hand and point at the sun uh, at Jupiter with the other hand, you're pointing in opposite directions.
1: Absolutely, yeah, right, direct okay. opposites.
0: Yeah, okay, that's okay. It's an Earth-centered frame of reference that makes a bit more sense. Um, and if you look at Jupiter in a telescope, what should we expect to see then?
1: Yeah, looking at Jupiter through a telescope, you should be able to make up the planet and see the belts and zones that make up the distinctive stripes that run across the planet. You may also be able to take a look at some of its moons. So the four largest should be easily visible throughout a telescope.
0: Ah, the, uh, the Galilean moons. Absolutely. So just through a, a decent little telescope. Mm-hmm. Wow. Okay, that's that's good to look forward to. Any other planets that are out?
1: Absolutely. So there's Saturn in the north at sunset, then moving across to northwest in the later evening. It should look slightly yellowish in our night sky.
0: Okay, I'll keep an eye out for that.
1: Yeah, so if you want to keep an eye out for it, the best day to head out would be the 22nd of November. So on that evening, you'd be able to see Saturn, the Moon and Jupiter all evenly spaced across our night sky.
0: That's a sight to look forward to. The 22nd of November, you said? Yes. All right, I'm definitely going to... put a note in my calendar to do that. Uh, All right let's keep going. Any other planets?
1: Yeah so Venus will be up just before sunrise but you'd have to be awake quite early to get a glimpse of that at this time of year. Mm
0: -hmm. I'm not a morning person but uh, yeah Venus has been up before sunrise the last couple of months if I recall correctly but so yes if if you are a morning person I guess Venus is out there for you.
1: And then there's Mercury in the west just after sunset in the second half of the month. Mm -hmm. Um, so I'd recommend using an app like Stellarium or Sky Safari to know where to look, because it can be a little hard to spot if you don't know exactly what you're looking for.
0: Right? Yeah, Mercury. Uh, in my attempts to uh, to observe it in the past, has always uh, been a little tricky. To a
1: little more elusive, definitely. <laughs> yeah,
0: exactly. All right. So, but yeah, yeah, like Stellarium or Sky Safari, just like you said. Good to know. What else is happening in November?
1: Yeah, it's AstroFest time again. So, oh, I
0: love AstroFest.
1: Yes, yes, it's a definitely a fan favourite. So this year AstroFest will take place on Saturday the 18th of November in the evening. AstroFest is a family event with telescopes set up so you can take a look through and also presentations and different displays. It's definitely worth checking out if you get a chance.
0: All right. Um, I have already got that in my calendar, actually. 18th of November in the evening. Can't miss it. Um, where is that again, just for anybody who doesn't know?
1: Ah, Curtin Uni.
0: <laughs> ah, right. Yeah. Alright, Astrofest on the 18th of November Can't miss it Anything else? It sounds like it's a busy month
1: Uh, Yeah, so we've got two different meteor showers that you can also check out this month if you get a chance Um, So we have the southern and northern Taurids meteor showers and they peak on November 5th and November 12th respectively So both will appear to come from within Taurus in the northeast
0: Oh okay, so the constellation of Taurus Yes, yeah yeah.
1: So the best time to view them would be in the mid-evening and in good conditions you might see about half a dozen meteors per hour.
0: Okay, that's something to look forward to. So that was November 5 and November 12?
1: Yes, Okay, good to know. Um, And just a little later in the month, there's also the Leonid's Meteor Shower. Um, So on November 18th. So this can be viewed just before sunrise. And in this one, you might see about 10 meteors per hour.
0: Wow, okay, that's good to know. All right, so that's on the 18th of November. So you can get up before sunrise and see the Leonid's Meteor Shower and I guess Venus as well and then you can stay up and then go to AstroFest at night.
1: Absolutely. And that is a very <laughs> big day. Yeah, <laughs> look, uh,
0: look at Jupiter and Saturn at AstroFest. All right, that, that's what I'm doing on the 18th. <laughs> <laughs> um, any, any interesting constellations to look for? I know that like, November can be a bit of a, a, a tough month with like, the Milky Way is very low on the horizon, if I remember correctly.
1: Yeah, you're absolutely right. Um, this month's more interesting constellation would be Grus.
0: Grus, yeah, <laughs> I've never heard of that.
1: So Grus is a Latin name which translates to the crane, as in the bird, rather than the, the construction
0: yeah. equipment. <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. So it's it's a bird constellation. All right. So Grus, the the crane. What's something interesting about Grus? Given that one minute ago I'd never even heard of it before.
1: Yeah. So it's definitely one of the lesser known constellations, but Grus is one of four constellations that are part of a group called the Southern Birds. So this includes four different constellations. Uh, so it includes Parvo, the peacock, Phoenix, obviously a phoenix, and Tucana, a toucan. Oh,
0: huh, okay. And uh, so, oh, so they're all other constellations just in the southern sky. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. There we go. The southern birds. That makes sense. What else?
1: Uh, Greece is also home to the spare tire nebula.
0: <laughs> the spare tire nebula. Yes. What, yeah. What in space is the spare tire nebula?
1: It's a very creative name, but it kind of looks like a tyre, so it's roughly donut-shaped when you have a look at it. Um, So the Spare Tyre Nebula is a planetary nebula.
0: Oh, okay. I was about to say, I know that nebula is like a really um, broad blanket term, and I also am aware that a planetary nebula actually doesn't have anything to do with planets. Uh, What is a planetary nebula?
1: Yeah, so it's a dying low-mass star. So it's less than eight solar masses, so less than eight times the mass of the sun. So it throws off its outer layers into space, which then glow from exposure to the core of the star.
0: Right. So a dying star. So it's got nothing to do with planets. Not really. (laughs) No. Why is it called a planetary nebula then?
1: Yeah, so a nebula is a bit of a catch-all and possibly even a slight misnomer for this particular um, item. So astronomers in past centuries didn't always have the best equipment or the best telescopes to make their observations. So anything diffuse, anything fluffy or fuzzy that they found in the night sky, they kind of just called it a nebula. I see. Yeah, so some nebulas were round and looked kind of like planets, so they were called planetary nebula basically fuzzy planets, even though we now know that they don't really have anything to do with planets at all. Now astronomers could change the name to something a little bit more fitting, but stars are round and tend to throw off their layers evenly, so many planetary nebulae appear roundish like a planet, so the name stuck. But lots of things get called nebula. So it's too broad of a term these days. So some galaxies were once even called a nebula. For example, our neighbouring galaxy, the Andromeda Galaxy, was once called the Andromeda Nebula. But now we know a lot more about what it is.
0: Right, there we go. I see what you mean, the the, the term nebula. Yeah, it is It is a bit too broad, isn't it? Given yeah. A, a dying star and a galaxy containing hundreds of billions of very much alive stars.
1: Can fit in the same ones, category, yeah. yeah. nebulous. Yeah.
0: Okay, but uh, the spare tyre, that's, that's such a great name for, uh, for anything in space. Brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm going to have to look it up to see if it actually looks uh, as described. Let's leave Earth behind for a second. Is there any other interesting big news in the wide world of space?
1: Sure is. Um, an Australian-led team of scientists used CSIRO's ASCAP telescope to discover the most distant and therefore oldest fast radio bursts to date.
0: It's a very loaded statement.
1: It sure is. Uh, let's,
0: uh, let's pick it apart. What, what is a fast radio burst?
1: Yeah, so a fast radio burst is a millisecond burst of radio waves coming from space. I think
0: that, that makes sense. I don't know what other answer I expected.
1: They were actually first detected by Park's Radio Telescope in 2001, but they were, weren't properly recognised until 2007. So they come from all over the sky, meaning that they're extra galactic in origin, so they must be enormously powerful for us to see them from all across the universe.
0: Okay, enormously powerful. Do we know what causes fast radio bursts?
1: The simple answer is we just don't know. <laughs> uh, but there are many ideas out there about their origin. We know that the time they are visible is extremely short, so the source may be quite small. And we know that they have travelled a huge distance, so the source is likely to be quite far away from us. Other than that, we just have a lot of questions, which is actually quite exciting.
0: Wow. Yeah, Okay. Uh, And you mentioned it was detected by ASCAP. What is ASCAP?
1: Yeah, so ASCAP is the Australian SKA Pathfinder. So it's a radio telescope. It's made of an array of 36 dishes, each are about 12 metres in size. So it's located in Murchison, which is about 800 kilometres north of Perth. Mm -hmm. Now, this area has a really low population, meaning this area is essentially radio quiet. So there is little interference with the signal by human activity. So it's a really great place to park something like this. So the radio signal received at each disk is actually added together using a measurement method called interferometry. Which might sound quite complex, but basically means that the dishes essentially behave as a single giant telescope.
0: Okay. That makes sense. 36 antenna that all add together into one big telescope and they, they it detected the burst. So how powerful was this burst then?
1: Yeah, very powerful indeed. So the burst actually release as much energy in just one millisecond as the sun releases over 30 years. <laughs> wow. Yes.
0: How does that work out in terms of like light bulbs?
1: Yeah, so in I don't know how it quite converts to light bulbs, but in numbers it would be $4 billion, billion, billion 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 watts. So that's four <laughs> followed by five billions.
0: Right. Wow. That's <laughs> that's very powerful, isn't it?
1: Very powerful indeed.
0: Um, and so, and hence why it was visible from across the universe. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, and so, why are fast radio bursts? interesting in the first place.
1: Yeah. So at this stage, they're interesting just because we don't yet understand them. So they're unknown. So we're a little curious. If there is something to be understood, it can be a little infuriating not to understand things, but that's pretty much at the heart of science. So there's a puzzle to be solved, right? Mm Yeah, Um, But also fast radio bursts are interesting as they have been shown to be amazing probes of the matter that lives between galaxies. So they can travel through the intergalactic medium. So by looking at fast radio bursts in detail, we can figure out how much of that matter between galaxies, this intergalactic medium that they've passed through. So we can use fast radio bursts to figure out how much matter is there. And this just might help astronomers to weigh the universe, to figure out how much matter is actually out there.
0: Wow, that's, that's amazing. I, I didn't see that one coming.
1: Yeah, it's <laughs> quite a high aim, but right. plausible, definitely.
0: Now I can truly understand why these fast radio bursts are so exciting. Well, there we go. I think that's a good place to call it there. Thank you so much uh, for that fascinating dive into fast radio bursts there, Shana. It's been fantastic. Thanks for, thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. That's it for this episode of SciTech's Audio Guide to the Galaxy. We'll see you next month where we talk about the night sky in December. If you'd like to know more about what we've been talking about today, you can find more by going to the SciTech website and there you'll find a link for a page called The Sky Tonight, which is a monthly blog written by us here at SciTech about all the wonderful things you can see in the night sky.